Today's reading is taken from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 21, starting at verse 33. That's Matthew chapter 21, verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a winepress in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent some other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They'll respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures... The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he whom on, on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, They knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus is the master storyteller. It's no wonder that the children gathered around him when he was preaching to the crowds. Children love a good story. So do we. But the question for us is, what does the story mean? And especially, what does it mean for my life? So let's pray that God will speak to us today as we look at this story. Lord Jesus, please open our eyes to see the meaning of this story. Whatever we've been doing this week, Lord, please would you enable us to quieten our minds and hearts and hear you speaking to us from your word. Would you please do your saving work in us today so that we can understand with our minds, believe in our hearts and take action in our lives and so bring honour to your name as we live for you. Amen. Now the the recap that I promised. Uh, Chapters 21 to 23 of Matthew cover Jesus' teaching in the temple courts. And I think there are two big questions that uh, Matthew would have us answer, that he would have the crowd in the temple answer as they listen to Jesus. Firstly, who is Jesus? And secondly, what does it mean to follow him? And you may say you know the answer to those questions, but there's a political answer and there's a personal answer. You might answer that Jesus is the king, the promised Messiah, the king of the Jews, 
the saviour of the world? Well, that's the political answer. What is your personal answer? Is Jesus your king? Does he rule over every decision in your life? Or do you make your own decisions without worrying about what he might think? It's those questions that we must answer as we read these chapters. Who is Jesus and does he rule over my life? So let's have a little reminder of the events of this chapter. Jesus, the king, arrives on a donkey and he gets a warm welcome. It's easy enough to welcome Jesus as the answer to our troubles. Jesus, come into my life. I'm unhappy and I want to be happy. Jesus, come into my life. I'm bored and I want to be interested. But Jesus would say, I've come to put right what's wrong with you. I've not just come to deliver you from your troubles. I've come to deliver you from your sins. And Jesus always takes us there to the problem of our sins. And that's the first thing that he does in the temple. He overturns the tables of the money changers and the dove sellers and he calls them a den of robbers. And then he shows them what they should be doing in the temple. He heals the blind and the lame. And he gives some Bible talks. This place is supposed to be a place of prayer, he says. A place to meet with God. They've got it all wrong. And then we have two lessons. Firstly, the lesson of the fig tree. What was wrong with the fig tree? Well, it was all leaves and no fruit. Religion without fruit is useless. But following Jesus leads to fruitfulness that pleases God and can even move mountains. Lesson number two is John the Baptist. Jesus tells them why he's doing the things that he's doing in the temple, what authority he has. He says, well, what about John the Baptist? What did you make of him? John had told them that Jesus is the Messiah, but they'd rejected John, and now they're rejecting Jesus. And then we have three parables. Last week, we heard the story of the two sons. This week, it's the stubborn tenants. And next week, the wedding banquet. In the story of the two sons, one refused his father's request to go and work in the vineyard. But then he changed his mind and did what he was told. Whereas the other son said, yes, dad, I'll do that. And ended up doing nothing at all. Which of these two did what the father wanted, said Jesus? Simple answer. The first one. Realising your mistake and changing your mind and doing the right thing it's better than saying you'll do the right thing, but not bothering. And that's what was happening in the temple at the time. They told God, these Jewish leaders, they told God that they would serve him. But they weren't really doing that. Well, I have three points for us today. Wake up and smell the coffee. Jesus makes the finest wine. And the rent is due. So first, 
wake up and smell the coffee. Jesus uses a vineyard business to teach the Jewish leaders what they should be doing in the temple. They're supposed to be doing God's work, raising a fruitful harvest of people who love and honour God. The temple was built to help people live God's way. But these leaders have been looking after their own interests and ignoring God. And they've been warned many times, most recently by John the Baptist himself. But they've ignored those warnings and now they're about to do something utterly wicked. They want to kill God's son. So Jesus tells these tenants, they've got the sack. God's vineyard business needs new tenants who will love and respect God and listen carefully to what he tells them to do and how to do it and get on with it. These leaders are supposed to be telling the world that God is good, that the Messiah is coming and he is good. In fact, he's here, right here in the temple with you now. And he hates sin and he loves good. He wants all people and all tribes and nations to follow him and live in harmony with this world and with each other. It's really simple, he says, how God's kingdom works. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And you love your neighbour as yourself. And because we don't do that, because we will fail to love him with everything that we are, and we'll fail to do what he wants, and we'll fail to love our neighbour, he has that covered too. There's a way to say sorry. There's a way to turn away from doing the wrong things. And there's a way to be forgiven. John the Baptist showed them how to clean up their act. Get washed in the River Jordan. Show God that you're sorry for ignoring him. You're ready to stop living without God. You leave that wrong way of life behind you in the River Jordan. And as you rise out of the water, you receive God's blessing to live a new life. And all this is happening right in front of these Jewish leaders' eyes. All these changed lives, all these people who were turning from their sinful ways. Everyone could see something big was happening in Jerusalem at the time. So let's look at this story that Jesus told them. And see if we can apply any lessons for ourselves. We might not think that we need to change. But let's imagine that Jesus is here this morning talking to us. We just happen to be in that crowd in Jerusalem in the temple. What does Jesus expect of us? How might we wake up and smell the coffee? Because those religious leaders certainly didn't. The second point, Jesus makes the finest wine. Verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. It's a good vineyard. Have you been to a vineyard? I once visited one in Napa Valley, California. The owner's name was Robert Mondavi. It was written in large letters on the impressive archway as you, as you go in. There was a welcome centre with wine tasting and wine for sale. 
the more expensive wines costing $80 a bottle. We didn't buy any. But it was very impressive. You could see the grapevines stretching out for miles around. And it was that kind of successful vineyard business that Jesus was talking about, a good one, with fences and walls and a security tower. It was built to grow the best possible grapes and make excellent wine. Like the wine that Jesus created from water in his first miracle at the wedding in Cana, because Jesus makes the finest wine. And the owner rents out his vineyard to some tenant farmers and leaves it in their capable hands. What could possibly go wrong? The terms of the rent are reasonable. The owner just wants his share of the fruit. Jesus is speaking in the outer court of the temple, or the court of the Gentiles, where both Jew and non-Jew were free to come in and hear about God. But rather than helping people to hear God's word and celebrate God's mercy and blessing, it had become a place to exchange money, sell animals for sacrifice, and overcharge people for just about everything. I was thinking it's a bit like a Premier League football club, forgetting that they're there for their fans and instead ripping them off with expensive season tickets and TV packages and merchandise, forgetting the very point of the business. It was a travesty. No wonder Jesus had turned over the tables with the moneylenders who were overcharging people and the dove sellers who were ripping people off. And Jesus welcomed the blind and the lame and didn't charge them a penny when they came to him for healing. That was what the temple was for. To demonstrate to the world there is a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open and we may go in. How little did those Jewish leaders see what was going on? They had the saviour of the world teaching them. And all they wanted to do was to get back to business as usual. Get rid of this troublemaker who was upsetting their income stream. Get him killed, out the way. They didn't want to listen to his teaching. It would cost them too much to change their ways. The theme of this series of talks has been how to live in the now. Here was the religious leader's chance to do just that. To see the direction that their lives were taking and to stop. To repent, as John had preached to turn away from their selfish lifestyles that ignored God, that ignored what God was rightly expecting them to do and to receive from Jesus the help that they needed to live God's way. You might think you're doing a pretty good job of your life at the moment, but could you honestly say that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul and all your mind? And you love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus didn't just ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, say all that he said, do all that he did, and complete the task that he came for by dying on a cross, so that you and I might just keep calm and carry on living our life the way that we want to, to our own set of rules. The gospel demands more of us. Jesus deserves the best from us. And he will receive the best from us if we follow him. 
because Jesus makes the finest wine. Well, the crowd was horrified by the story of the stubborn tenant farmers. How could they be so callous, so evil and selfish? So Jesus asked the crowd, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Well, it's not going to end well, this story, is it? What else could the crowd say? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants, who will give them his share of the crop at harvest time. Those who think it's okay to ignore God and live life as if there's no day of reckoning are in for a nasty shock. Wretches will come to a wretched end. Those tenants knew perfectly well what they were doing when they beat up the owner's servants and killed his son. They thought they'd avoid paying the rent forever. How foolish. The sooner we admit that we've been ignoring our responsibilities to God, the sooner we can start to live life well. The life that Jesus teaches us in the Gospels, because Jesus makes the finest wine. Now let's look at the third point. The rent is due. Jesus doesn't need to say anything more. The whole crowd has got the point. The religious leaders, the very people who should have been paying the rent by honouring God, by reading the scriptures and explaining them to the crowds, just weren't doing that. So Jesus gives them a quick lesson in how to teach the Bible. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures... Well, what a question to ask these experts in the scriptures. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvellous in our eyes. Now, it's only two verses, but there's a lot of meaning here, which I'll attempt to explain. Firstly, what was this well-known saying about a stone? Secondly, why was a stone considered significant? And thirdly, this is the most technical bit, was the stone a capstone or a cornerstone or some other stone? You can switch off now if this is too complicated. I'll tell you when to wake up again. But if you're ready for it, here we go. Firstly, this is a saying from Psalm 118, which was a well-known hymn. It was a bit like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, or You'll Never Walk Alone, or God Save the Queen. All the crowd would have known the words. They would have been able to sing along. It was a psalm associated with the Passover celebration. So for Jesus to say, have you never read in the scriptures, must have really stung. Of course, we know it's a Bible passage about Jesus being rejected by the very people Jesus is talking to. If they'd understood the scriptures, they would have known that. Secondly, all the crowd did understand what, what he was talking about when he was talking about a stone. Because a stone in the Bible signified a leader who was rejected by his people, but later on was made in charge by God. Because that's what happened to King David. It's also what happened as a whole to the people of Israel. Both have been small, insignificant, overlooked and despised, 
before they became great and ruled over kingdoms. And what's more, in the, uh, in the Hebrew, the word for a stone is very similar to the word for sun. And they like those kind of word plays. So they'd have no trouble seeing that a rejected stone and a rejected sun was the same idea. They knew Jesus was talking about a son being rejected and then later on being ruler over all. Now the third, more tricky bit. The Old Testament has several verses mentioning a significant stone, which the New Testament tells us refers to Jesus. But there are different architectural meanings to these stones. A cornerstone is the most common one. Now, a cornerstone is near the bottom of the corner of a building and holds everything up. You might think of it like a foundation stone. But then there's also a capstone mentioned, which is higher up in the building. It also holds the building together, but this time it supports the roof and is more like a lintel, which spans over arches. And if it's the stone in the middle of an arch, it will be called a keystone. And then there's also a stone in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, which is thrown against the fourth great world empire, which has feet of iron mixed with clay, and it crushes that empire and causes it to fall. Now we understand that is that Christ caused the collapse of the Roman Empire. Christianity caused the Roman Empire to collapse as the fourth great world empire after Daniel's prophecy. And so we have a foundation stone, we have a supporting stone, we have a stone which crushes, and we also have the idea of a stone which people trip over, causing them to stumble. So which of these stones is Jesus speaking about here? The literal translation of Psalm 118 is the head of the corner, which sounds more like a capstone at the top rather than the cornerstone at the bottom. But both would convey the fact that they're instrumental in holding the the whole building together. Well, I think the simple answer is that Jesus is speaking about all of them. Because he's speaking about himself. And all the stone illustrations are different aspects of his role in this world. Some people will find his sayings too difficult. They won't be able to follow him. They'll stumble over him. And they might never get over it. Others will set themselves up to oppose Jesus. They'll hate what he says, but they'll never succeed. Jesus is the one that holds the whole building together, which is us, if we're part of his church, which is built upon Jesus, the cornerstone. hope that wasn't too confusing. You can switch back on now if you turned off. Jesus didn't need this audience didn't need to tell this audience what a stone meant. They all knew. They knew Psalm 118. They knew a stone meant a rejected son. And they knew that one day a stone or a son would form a great kingdom. So Jesus can go straight to the application. Verse 43. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. They've rejected the stone. They've rejected the sun. 
They know that he's telling them to change, but rather than heed his warning, they simply want him out of the way. Verse 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. They can't do anything to him now because Jesus is doing the job that they should have been doing. He's explaining the Bible to people. People are hungry to hear God's word when it's well taught, even if it shows that they need to change. But not everyone will accept Jesus. Some will refuse to change. Some will reject him because it simply costs too much. So to finish, what about you? Have you heard the story and realised that you need to change? Maybe you'd say to me, well, thanks for the talk, Mike, but uh, tell me what's new? What difference does it make to me? What do I need to do? Well, I've got four suggestions that you might put on your to-do list. Firstly, keep listening. If this story didn't change your mind about where you are in life, then come back next week. Hear another story of Jesus. Don't stop looking for the truth and the meaning of life. It's right here in the Bible. You'll find it in Jesus. Ask God to show you what you need to do. Number two, baptism. If you haven't asked Jesus to take hold of your life, then ask someone about baptism. It's God's way to show that you are ready to change, to lay aside your old priorities and accept Jesus as the one who now calls the shots in your life. Number three, Jesus makes the finest wine. Maybe you already do come here every week and you've been baptised and confirmed in your faith. So maybe it's time to review your progress. Am I telling my friends, my family, and anyone else I come across the truth about Jesus and his vineyard business? One day they will stand before Jesus. I have to explain what they've done with their lives. Do they know that? Are they ready to meet Jesus? Do they know him or just about him? Do they know him as their own saviour and king? And fourthly, the rent is due. Well, don't feel guilty about what you don't do when other Christians can help you with lots of ways that you can do things to be part of this fruitful business. Join a group. Find some other way to work on your fruitfulness with the help of other Christians. There's loads of ways at St Mary's for doing that. There's house group, focus, men's reading group. There are lots of other things you can be involved in, just serving coffee, working on the PA, town centre chaplaincy. You can write to prisoners. There's all kinds of ways that we can be more fruitful as Christians. There's always a place for you. If you're not sure what to do, then speak to someone at St Mary's. The grapes are ready for harvest. And the rent is due, so let's get on with it. Let me pray.
Father God, thank you for the illustration of your good vineyard, carefully constructed to be a blessing to the whole world. Thank you for not leaving it in the hands of stubborn tenant farmers who are just thinking of themselves. Thank you for showing us the way to stop living selfishly is to start living for Jesus. Thank you for giving us people who care for us and want to share with us the word of life. Forgive us, Lord, when we're so busy with our own business that we forget about your business. Show us what you want us to do. Show us how we can belong. Please make us part of your family so that we can welcome people in your name and share with them the fruits of your harvest. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen.